Welcome to Arizona Opera Behind the Scenes, a podcast. In this series, hosts Cassie Robel, the Director of Education, and Kathleen Trott, the Shop Manager for the Marlou Allen and Scott Stallard Costume Artisan Workshop, will introduce you to all the departments and people at Arizona Opera that are necessary to produce the operas you enjoy. On this episode, we're joined by Greg Hirsch, Director of Production and Resident Lighting Designer at Arizona Opera. So we'll start with our trivia from last episode. Cruella de Vil in 101 Dalmatians famously cared deeply about her wardrobe. One of the four quotes that I listed was not in the movie. The one that wasn't in the movie was, and you call yourselves men? Hmm. I've seen more intelligent handbags. She actually says that she's seen more intelligent pieces of carpet. But her, you beasts, I'm not beaten yet, you've won the battle, I'm about to win the wardrobe, is in fact absolutely pure Cruella de Vil. True or false, in the 1940s, roll-on deodorant inspired the invention of the ballpoint pen. It was actually the other way around. The ballpoint pen inspired roll-on deodorant. Hello everyone, thanks for joining us today. So we're here with Greg Hirsch, our director of production and resident lighting designer with Arizona Opera. Thanks for joining us, Greg. Happy to be here. Great. So um, Cassie and I know what you do, but I think that the title of director of production is a bit mysterious for most non-active members of a theater company. Can you tell us what exactly a director of production is? The easy answer is if it doesn't sing, it's in production. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> okay. Oh, I like it. I mean, you can you can fairly easily translate that into all of the physical uh, part of the, the production that audiences see so they can relate to that. The other part of it that the audiences don't see and hardly anyone sees is all of the financial aspects of it and the uh, budgeting, the monitoring of expenditures, the arranging for all of the logistics of the production, how it gets from wherever it started to, which is sometimes for us just a piece of paper, uh, because we... Uh, have an Arizona Opera Scenic Studio, which builds productions, new productions, such as Cozy this year for us. Uh, so, so it, uh, it whether it's coming from Atlanta or Seattle, or uh, thinking obviously of our Carmen that we're about to do, where uh, the scenery comes from Atlanta by way of about three other companies before that. It was originally designed by Alan Charles Klein in 1992 for Philadelphia Opera. It's passed through many hands over those many years and now resides with the Atlanta Opera and the costumes are coming to us from the Seattle Opera. So as the director of production, you're sort of the top part of that tier, right? So we all look to you to help make sure it's cohesive and to help line everything up and make sure that the production department as a whole can do all the things that are required of us. Yes, we have have a significant staff and a 
and an excellent staff, which is a delight for me because it makes my job a lot easier. Uh, I mean, the structure, essentially the structure of the opera company in production is there's a director of production who essentially oversees all of the aspects of the production. Then there there's a technical director who runs the Arizona Opera Scenic Studio and coordinates all of the stagehands and the backstage activity for our productions, as well as the fabrication of scenery, costume, or scenery and props. Uh, then we have a costume shop, and uh, obviously Kathleen Trott is the costume shop manager, and uh, we build our own shows uh, from little swatches of fabric that uh, the designers supply and sometimes Kathleen designs as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have uh, the, all the properties, all of those things that you see people carrying around and drinking from and smoking <laughs> and, yep, yep. Uh, and ringing bells and all that sort of thing. Uh, Elena Maniscalco is our property supervisor. She does a great job for us uh, as well as she also coordinates all of the instruments, all of the, the logistics of the pit, uh, lights, the, the chairs, the stands, uh, conductor's podium, all those special things. And uh, uh, lighting is sort of my specialty uh, as I have, well, I'm also a lighting designer. And so... I do a fair amount of that, although we have production electricians and master electricians and programmers who work on every show uh, to to make that all happen. So, Greg, you just briefly mentioned lighting. So your second part of your title is the resident lighting designer. What does that mean? Well, it means that I do, I light a couple of shows each season. This year it's uh, Carmen and... Uh, a little night music. Uh, some some seasons more, some seasons less, depending on what the just situationally what the what, what works for us, as well as coordinates the hiring of lighting designers who are who who do the other shows. Julie DeRoe is going to be our lighting designer for Cozy. I've worked with her many times before. She she uh, lit our production of Marriage of Figaro not too long ago, so. Uh, we're excited to have her back. She, that was a really great show. And Laura Fine Hawks is our uh, scenery designer, uh, and we're we've been building that since uh, early September, maybe August, uh, in our in our scenic studio, and it's coming along quite nicely. I know the answer to this, but our <laughs> listeners might not. Um, as a lighting designer, what exactly does that mean? Do you actually like go up into the beams and hang everything up there? How exactly does it go about that you light a show? Well, starting from the very beginning, you, you, you. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll talk sort of just generally about the process, if you will. Uh, I mean, uh, the the quick answer is no. Well, I don't touch anything. <laughs> <laughs> except, except the computer and the yep. and, and the visual. Uh, I mean, the, the lighting design is really about what the piece is and and how it presents itself. So you take into account the the dramatic activity that's happening, uh, which is kind of the big overview conceptual part of it. 
time of day, place, and the the more intangible one, because it's easy to get the time of day place a composer usually puts that in the score for you, so you're not confused. Uh, but the but the more ethereal part of it is what is the mood of the scene, and what's the what's the moment that's happening because you can communicate quite a lot uh, with with just the look when the curtain goes up. Is it night? Is it day? Those are the easy parts. But what are the characters' intents? What's going to happen? Are we going to go from a, a jubilant, happy situation to a not so jubilant and happy situation? And and how does the how does the environment, the the lit environment, change as you pro- progress through those uh, different moods and different conditions? Uh, so so the the lighting designer's goal is to is to place all of the instruments in a, in a drafting piece that you give to the electricians. They hang all the instruments, they go up, uh, and then, so there's two parts to it. So first you hang it, you place all the instruments where they are. A typical opera production will run around 300 lighting instruments, each one of which you have to place within the, within, on the drawing within the space have a purpose for when you place it there, uh, pick a color for, pick what we call a channel, which is similar to a dimmer, although it's a little more complicated these days because you don't just plug the light into a dimmer anymore. Sure. <laughs> it goes through goes through a whole bunch of other things. Uh, and uh, and, and dec- decide if there's a gobo in the light, decide if there's... Uh, what color is in the light, if there's diffusion in the light, which softens the beam, or is it a hard edge beam? Is that, what, are you, what are you after? Uh, and then, of course, we have uh, moving lights that we uh, recently acquired, but we've been using for quite some time as a rental option. Uh, and they are rather spectacular in that they can really do any variety of different things in different areas. They're a huge help to uh, cutting down on, on just the, the amount of work it takes to, uh, to, to have a special light in for yeah. one particular mm-hmm. scene. Mm-hmm. But, it, but it also, it also they, they're also a unique property onto themselves. They, they work in a certain way that can produce effects that you can't produce with, a, with an ordinary light, mm-hmm. including following the performer as they walk from point A to point B. In real time, I know that's a follow spot, but you can also do you, you can also move a much bigger chunk of the environment. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. With the with the person, uh, we try to do that subtly in opera. They do it pretty pretty crudely in rock shows, but, <laughs> but where, where where the moving light is the story, but but for us, it's it's not. Um, so you go through that whole process, and then you sit down with the the director. And you spend 15 to 20 hours, depending on, on how much time you have available, mm-hmm. uh, writing cues for the show, which is decide, which is look at taking each instant of the show and deciding what lights are on and what lights are off and what colors they're, they're in, because we have choices about that now, uh, and uh, where the focus is, what the, getting the mood right. Uh, so, uh, and, and then ultimately... Uh, you that's the show and you do it over each rehearsal as well you make the minor adjustments 
you you know you you sit in an empty theater and and light air <laughs> and then <laughs> and then you add a bunch of actors and singers and dancers to it and right. and you make adjustments on the fly and then you put clothes on them right <laughs> yes and then you put clothes on them which <laughs> yeah. is yeah which is incredibly important makes a whole i mean it's difference. incredibly important um uh, very soon i will be like going taking a tour of the carmen wardrobe so that i can see what the what we're really looking at yeah. for color as opposed to you can be very fooled by seeing uh the pictures, pictures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah pictures give you an idea yeah. but uh but there are subtle gradations within that that you have to be very careful of because uh lighting can uh really enhance or destroy yes sure. the look of a show <laughs> absolutely we also run into a little bit of a problem from like a lighting on fabric perspective in that the costume shop overhead lights are just a misery to look at actual yeah. color in like we yes. just came back from la we bought a whole bunch of fabric and we laid it out on the table and multiple times we we're like, that is not the color that it was out in the wild because these like fluorescent-y whatevers, just, they do not nice things to color. Well, to, just to get a little nerdy. <laughs> um, so so basically, yeah, the, the fluorescents are about 5,000 degrees Kelvin. Kelvin is a measurement of color temperature. Uh, a theatrical light without any gel in front of it is about 3,200 degrees Kelvin. It's a massive difference, yeah. and uh, and and uh, you you really can't. I mean, we 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 use fluorescent lights in the shop, but in the paint area, we also have a phalanx of of thirty two hundred degree Kelvin yeah. lights, so that you start from. I mean, all the theatrical lights start at thirty two hundred degree Kelvin, and so you 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 start with that as your base when you're looking at colors uh, in in a piece of scenery. And or a costume, and then you and then you move on from there and decide what filters you want to put in front of them. So you've mentioned a couple times that you use the word gel, you use the word gobo. So when you're lighting, does the light start as we just got nerdy a little bit and talked about this? But generally, you know, the color of your house, you know, a general (laughs) light, and then do you add to it? Um, How do you make colors and things like that with these lights? Well, there's it, the, that whole field is changing very rapidly, but and in some very positive ways. So every light, every theatrical light, the basis is 3,200 degrees Kelvin, which is pretty much a normal incandescent bulb that we've all seen. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of different yeah. <laughs> Kelvin temperatures to no, incandescent no, and, bulbs, but right. but sort of the baseline is 3,200. Uh, I think most most people are familiar with that. That's kind of the average. Uh, the uh, theatrical lights are just a little higher than that now. They're about 3,600, uh, which means that they're a little whiter. So there's a there's a yellow component in a, in a 3,200 that uh, is somewhat reduced. Uh, the uh, uh, the, the, the interesting thing, so, so you decide, and you, you spend a lot of time on that, but that's kind of your baseline. That, that's like if you turned all the lights on and you didn't put any color in any of them, they'd be all 3,200, 3,600 degrees. Then you start to look at, at color and mood and, and time of day and all of that stuff, and you communicate that. 
I mean, it, you know, it's interesting because we, we accept the convention that uh, night is blue, blue. Yeah. on stage. But but the point of fact, if you really go outside in the middle of the night, no, it's, not it's not blue. blue. No. <laughs> but but we accept that. Okay. So that yeah. so so they're probably uh, in the in the various swatch books because there are several manufacturers. Uh, they're probably a hundred, hundred twenty shades of blue um, available to the designer, and and now with LED lighting. There's even more because you can mix your own. You can literally create your your own light. Uh, that's that's a field we're just starting in in theater. But uh, but uh, so you 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 choose those colors and you choose them with with a certain amount of care and and it takes some time. Uh, they're blue greens and yellow blues, warm blues, cold blues, blue purples. Uh, there's 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 just a huge assortment of those, but we accept that convention, and it's and and it's good. Amber is daytime. Yeah, yeah. Um, we yeah. think of, well, light amber is daytime. Mm -hmm. Dark when you get into the darker ambers, then then you're looking at a different kind of of uh, maybe late afternoon that communicates. So so you want to tell the audience that you want to give them some hints about what they're looking at when the curtain goes out. Uh, gels. Gels actually started as gelatin, literally jello, right? And 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 they would they would mix the gelatin with with uh, uh, dyes, and they would lay it out in sheets and uh, very thin sheets, and it would dry, and they would cut it into pieces. And you would put it in a color frame in front of the light. Uh, that was about sixty some odd years ago. Maybe more. Uh, since then, there's been a whole long series of different kind of plastics involved. Uh, some of them very thin, some of them very thick. We're now we're now kind of settled into a really thin version um, that that. Uh, but there are there are manufacturers. There's a, there's a Lee color book. There's a Roscoe color book. There's a uh, Apollo color book uh, and a few other little tiny manufacturers uh, also have have some color books. We, we pretty much stick with the Roscoe and Lee, or at least I do. Uh, but there's but there's a great assortment in there for for just about any purpose you can imagine. Um, each each one of them contain roughly 500 different. Uh, swatches um, so you communicate that that's part of the light plot and the, and the lighting paperwork which is an instrument schedule and a channel hookup um, and uh, and then of course you know with with uh, moving lights and and automated lighting with LEDs you can you can mix your own colors with with CMYK in the in the uh, moving lights you can mix your own colors mm -hmm. um, not not unlike printing it's like printing uh but, well yeah. your monitors are like that too you can set your monitor uh for you know to look a certain way um and and then we just put all that together in the theater what is um you mentioned a gobo can you explain what a gobo oh is? yeah sure uh a gobo uh, about midway in the lighting instrument there's a slot into which you can put uh a gobo or an iris 
Uh, and an iris is basically just what it sounds like. It's just like on a camera. Uh, it's something that, c- that, that will make the, the round beam of the light smaller. Uh, and, and so you would just get the center part of the light. So, uh, but you do lose some intensity, so you have to be kind of careful with that. Um, but uh, a gobo is one of, uh, is a, we call them gobos or patterns. Uh, they're, they're generally metal, although they do also come in glass for more complicated ones. And they're essentially like a shadow puppet. I mean, if you want, if, if you just, if you imagine like the, the old fashioned thing where they used to cut out the, the black thing and put it on a white paper and it'd be like your yeah, profile yeah. or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It kind of works like that. I mean, you you put that you put that uh, pattern that break up in front uh, in the gate in front of the light, and you can make it sharp or soft edges, whatever you want. But uh, but they can be anything. Uh, usually, there are a lot of foliage and stuff. But you can actually project imagery if you if you want. I mean, there's there's a couple that that I use frequently that are like a moon template. Um, they ju- you just fuzz them out on uh, you take them horizontal onto a psych and you fuzz them out and they look they look quite realistic um, they're quite effective well you've mentioned quite a few of the things that you've done here in the past so how long have you actually been here at Arizona Opera Greg uh, this is my sixth year I believe 2016 so nice so before you came to us, where did the winds of time take you? <laughs> <laughs> Almost everywhere. Oh yeah. Um, well, I I started in in uh, Minnesota as a child, mm-hmm. um, and grew up there and nearly froze to death. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and then I went to New York because that's where they were doing theater that interested me, and. Uh, it was an eye-opening experience. It was the first time I'd ever been to New York. I just moved there, uh, and uh, I, I stayed for quite a while. I was there for about ten or twelve years. Um, did some Broadway shows. Did some uh, touring shows, uh, and and a lot of little off-Broadway shows. And then decided that I actually got an offer to to be the uh, production manager at Tulsa Opera uh, through a design, uh, lighting designer and set designer friend of mine who uh, worked there, and so I went out there and quite quite honestly, I didn't have any idea that opera would be like a thing I did, uh, nor did I fully recognize what the job was. I <laughs> sort of understood it, but um, nobody was very clear about it. <laughs> And uh, so I stayed there for two years, and then I went to the Dallas Opera's director of production and uh, stayed there for a couple of years, and then I went to San Diego as director of production and was there for about five years. Uh, That was a very interesting time, very very aggressively uh, artistic company and very aggressive growth company during that period of time. and then I finally, uh, I, I came back to New York, did a, I was lighting a Broadway show and uh, really kind of decided that, that I wanted to cast my lot in a, in a theatrical direction. I, I 
really grown up in theater, started out in theater and wanted to do more of that now. And, uh, and so for the next several years, uh, uh, 15, 20 years, <laughs> several, uh, I was in, I mean, that is several. <laughs> yeah, I was in New York. I did touring shows and, and, uh, lit shows and various places and, uh, d- different opera companies I'd work for and, uh, some theater companies along the way. And then, uh, and then I had an opportunity to return to Palm Beach Opera, which uh, I had I had worked in very very early in my career. Just after moving to New York, I did several productions for them as a lighting designer, and uh, always had kind of a soft spot for Palm Beach and and uh, Palm Beach Opera in my in my heart. Um, and so I I took that opportunity. I went there. I spent a couple of years there. Uh, I think three. I think. Uh, and, uh, but they, you know, it was very limiting that they had a, they have a big challenge in their theater. Um, it's a beautiful theater, but, uh, it's incredibly expensive and it requires them to only do a week of all tech and all and, and three performances. It just, it just limits what you can create. Uh, the human body just, you know, can't think that fast and you know so you 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 sketch rather than so draw little hours to do the amount of yeah it's just it's, mm. a, it's a crazy schedule yeah. it's really it's really and and it gets old pretty fast yeah uh and then uh and then i came out here to arizona opera and uh and we were had a kind of a crazy schedule <laughs> when we, yeah greg when I, greg one of the things that he did that was marvelous when he got here was he sort of pushed really hard to get us more time in our actual in theater rehearsal tech dress rehearsal process so he right. added whole bunches of days to the sort of front end of that if you will so that way they could actually do a whole bunch of lighting and finish setting up the sets before the performers got on stage in costume which means then that your dress rehearsal can just actually be a real dress rehearsal yeah. and not a stop and stand while they requeue all the lights and program everything and realize that the door isn't there so they need to build the door behind <laughs> them and yeah well yeah there's a, that 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 you know that was really part of the problem in in uh that i was talking about in palm beach is that you 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 just crash through it and and you do you know you write every other cue you know that you that you imagine you need um so that so that you get to the finish before the audience arrives uh it, it, and it's it, it you know you you can get away with it but um but it's sort of an unsatisfying product and it's also it's also there's a human uh part to it too you you take your entire production staff and you put them in a position where you're 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 going to work them you know 16 17 18 hours a day at the end of which you want them to be at their absolute height their best. of creativity yeah. and, and artistic input when they're, they are physically drained and physically exhausted and, yeah. and mentally uh, stressed. That doesn't, that doesn't sound like a recipe for a good production. Yeah. So, so our productions, I think, have become more fully rehearsed. Uh, and it shows it shows in the performers too you the, the, there's a tendency to think that tech is one thing and performers are another 
But a performer who's wa- walking on stage for maybe the second or third time doesn't really know where the door is. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah, right. And so, and so, you know, they they're uncertain, and that uncertainty undermines their ability to perform. Yeah. What we've tried to do is to try to make it a, a system where where they are one hundred percent confident. They don't have to think about anything extraneous to their performance. Yeah, and. And as a result, the same performers are giving better performances. Yeah. And uh, that, I think, is, is the key. Because what we want to do, what we have to do, what we're committed to do, is to put the absolutely highest standard of artistic quality on the stage every single time we have an audience in the house. It seems like very passionate about theater, which I understand and appreciate. And it, it seemed like you kind of always knew that this was what you wanted to do when, when you were younger, abandoning the colds of Minnesota. Um, how, how did you know that you always wanted to do this? Did you like get to do it when you were younger too? Or was it just like this wild hair that you sort of <laughs> loved? <laughs> do you know, it's sort of funny. I, 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 I recognize now looking back that I, I always kind of had this uh, urge to be to be involved in theatrical endeavors uh, first as a, for a, because I think everybody starts there uh, as a performer mm-hmm. um, I, I, I can now look back on my childhood and see that I you know performed as a as a kid for my family and stuff um, uh, to their chagrin. <laughs> uh, but it, but it kind of ebbed and flowed. It kind of came and went. The, uh, I remember in sixth grade, I had a teacher who who got me involved in in some things. But then I sort of sort of once I left his care, I, I I sort of let it drop. And then I had another teacher in high school who got me involved again, and he was very interesting because he actually. Uh, sort of pushed me out into the world. I mean, I did a, I did one. I, I played LWP Dowd in Harvey, uh, and uh, and he and he said, you know, there's this little theater starting up down here. You should go see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, full of hubris that only youth can have, uh, you know, marched off assuming that I would be the lead player. Right. Um, that was not the case. <laughs> And, uh, and I, I, uh, st- so I, but I started with them and they were a relatively new company. And, uh, and one day they, the, the artistic director said to me, would you like to be the technical director? We need a technical director. And I said, absolutely. I would love that because I had no idea what a technical director was. <laughs> Not a hint. Not a hint, but it sounded good. Yeah, you sure. know, like yeah. when you hey, add that uh, title, uh, director, you're like, oh yeah. Uh, I'm the technical director. Uh-huh. You know, and um, and so so I took I, I I took the job. I did the job. I le- I bought a book, and you know, learned how to use a saw, and uh, and I we did that for a couple of years. I did it for a couple of years for them, um, and it was a it was a very successful company. It turned out it ran for like seven years as a as a not for profit. We didn't sell. Uh, we never sold subscriptions because we never wanted to be tied to a season. Uh, we wanted to do what we wanted to do when we wanted to do it. And so we would do you know like six weeks of the Fantastics, so that we could do four weeks of Shakespeare. We're going to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about a few upcoming events at Arizona Opera. 
our 50th anniversary season continues with Carmen at Symphony Hall in Phoenix and Tucson Music Hall in Tucson. Arizona Opera has a number of events and programs to supplement our main stage shows, including Coffee at Care, pre- and post-show talks, and our Opera for Lunch recitals, featuring the Marion Roos Poland Arizona Opera Studio. To find all of Arizona Opera's upcoming events, visit azopera.org slash upcoming events or azopera.org and click calendar. Please be sure to check the required COVID-19 safety requirements prior to attending an Arizona Opera event. If you missed any of Arizona Opera's digital offerings in the 2021 season, they are always available to you on Arizona Opera On Demand. To never miss a moment, be sure to subscribe to our email list and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So you already told us a little bit about what you're doing lighting designer-wise for this upcoming season because you're doing Carmen and a little night music, but what are you looking forward to the most in our sort of near future this season? I think every production manager, director of production, always looks forward to the end of the season most. That's a good uh, answer. I mean, I mean uh, and, uh, and that also means a successful season. I mean, it's not, it's not to say, well, let's just dash through it. Oh, sure. right. But... But it's uh, uh, it's always you're always precariously perched on the on the on the point of the needle um, <laughs> until because so uh, so there's so many areas and so many things can can go sideways and and be difficult and be challenging uh, you know that's what you really hope for you hope for everything to go well and to get to the end of the season when you can take a breath. And just a breath, because <laughs> the next season is coming right away. Yeah. But, but I think every 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 production person uh, sort of feels that way. I actually feel that way about every production we do, every show we do. You know, let this show be perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, so the, we really look forward to the end of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Besides the obvious challenge of operating in a uh, pandemic slash post-pandemic oh, yeah. world, so you're not allowed to answer with COVID. COVID. <laughs> um, so in, in addition to the challenges associated with COVID, um, was there any unexpected challenge that you've had to face so far in this season? And if not, what are some challenges that are listeners may be interested to know about that they may not think about well so many so many things come to mind <laughs> uh, i mean each thing is challenging in its own right i mean we've had we've had uh you know personnel issues you have personnel issues all the time with shows because when you when you it's it doesn't it doesn't turn up in in the common knowledge but as part of our McDougal Red series, uh, we just did uh, El Milagro del Ricardo, and we had 45 people uh, on the load-in, the first day of load-in, 45 stagehands uh, in addition to the staff, uh, and we had uh, four 53-foot trucks full of scenery and costumes, not even costumes, but scenery and lighting, uh, loading in, in a, and we really had only about three days to accommodate all of that. And that's like three moving vans coming to your house, and right. you know, it's it's always amazing to me actually when every time I move, and I've moved a lot, that you know they come in the the, the moving van, and you think you have a lot of stuff in your house, you know, and then you find out that 
you're, you're about a quarter of a truck. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And, and, and we're essentially moving in four of those trucks uh, for a couple of weeks. Right. And then loading it back up and taking it to Tucson. Tucson yeah. And then unloading it. And yeah. then unloading it, loading yeah. it again. In a different sized theater. Even. Right. Yeah. Yes. So well, they're yes. not even copy and pastes of each other. They're, they're totally different. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, it, it, you know, the, uh, yeah, there's just a, there's just an incredible amount of, of stuff that it can go wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And, and you can plan and you can plan and you can plan. And the question is, is not, will you do everything perfectly? The question is, will you recover? Right. <laughs> and, and will you recover appropriately when, when whatever that thing is that happens? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I, I take great pride in trying to anticipate the things, the weak points, the, what are the points that could get by. I, I almost never get it right. It's always <laughs> something that I didn't anticipate. But I suppose if I'd anticipated it, it, it wouldn't happen. It would a problem. That's so, always the way that it works. Right. So, <laughs> so it's, it, it, you know, it, it, it's always just a, a, a high-wire act. Is there a show that you've always wanted to design the lighting for but haven't had a chance to do? Everyone I haven't done. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I'm a lighting designer. Right. So, right. so you know, every pretty much every piece I read that I like or, you know, or see, mm. yeah. you know, I say, boy, I'd like to do that. Oh, sure. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> makes sense. So I think we're at our speed round section. We don't have it on the cheat sheet anymore, I've been Greg. living in fear of this. I know. <laughs> okay. So... It's just supposed to be kind of your off-the-cuff answers. It's a little bit more fun. You understand there's an element of danger. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so I like it, playing mm-hmm. with fire. <laughs> okay, are you ready? No. What's your favorite gel color? Hmm. R17. Okay. That ought to send everyone scurrying for their yeah, gel books. Yeah, go look it up, friends. <laughs> color is R17. Hey. Do you prefer new smart LED lights or the old classic style? Well, I am a classicist. I I I, I have to. I'll just tell you. This is not a lightning answer, but <laughs> I, I, as we progress through, we've gained some th- some facility about doing things, but we've lost some things too. And and the thing that I miss the most. Because you would never think to ask me this. Um, the thing that I miss the most about the olden days, if you will, is when you go in the Wayback Machine to, to like 50s, 60s musicals. The Wayback um, Machine. I like when that. You, when, do, when you would do a stage blackout, what, what would happen is that the electricians backstage running the boards, they didn't turn a dial they pulled the mains, right? Mm-hmm. Which which means they pulled the, the, the it's like hitting that giant breaker switch yeah, and shutting yeah, your whole yeah. house down, right? So they would pull the mains and the and they would and that would cut off the electric supply instantly to the to the uh, lamps. And and what would happen is that and I know everybody's gonna think I'm crazy now, but I'm uh, not unaccustomed to that. <laughs> so what 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 your eye can understand is is really crazy. I mean, your eye is such an incredible instrument that the, you could you could see the light collapse, right? And I know light moves at 186,000 miles per second squared. Nevertheless, your your eye can detect this 
this movement of light. Yeah, yeah. It stops at the instrument the and, and yeah. it and it huh. crashes. It keeps going in a straight line right to the place where it was focused. Yeah. And you could perceive that. You couldn't understand it. And mm -hmm. and and you couldn't identify it. But it was a look mm -hmm. that happened. Yeah. And and so the blackout concentrated you on that spot whatever the brightest spot on the stage was before that yeah it it pulled your your brain down to that spot now because everything's little dimmers right you you pull it all down and you know it it everything just dims it just gets darker mm -hmm. it's very it's a very different thing it was very visceral, sort of. Right. Like you could feel the light. You, 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 yeah. Or the lack thereof. Yeah. And so the 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 LED answers. Look, the LEDs are great. They're really terrific. They they can make any color you want. Frankly, it's too much freedom in my mind. Uh, <laughs> sure. You know, yeah, the lighting yeah. designers that I know are essentially using the same palette that they the, that's their favorite palette anyway. Sure. And so, you know, we whip out our swatch book and say, you know, make it look like R17. Right. You know? <laughs> right. And the board will do that. You just punch in yeah. the, the parameters and, and, you know, boom, it's right. R17. So yeah. it's not an LED. Who cares? <laughs> if you had to choose... Any two things that you had to suffer in combination on stage in every performance of the four, animals, kids, water, and fire. What are the two? What are the two I most want or the yeah. most don't want? The mo two that you would be most happy to have to suffer through. Um, well, fire uh, is definitely uh, not something that you want on stage, <laughs> um, unless it's unless it's very controlled. I mean, we do fire effects all the time. So, I was assuming you know. it was not a spontaneous. Uh, so, if you mean fire. if you mean yeah. real fire, like uncontrolled fire, no, no, no. no that, that that we've proven that over the years to not be a very good idea. Um, we've made theaters a lot safer in them doing but back in back in the turn of the century mm. um, uh, the last century not this one uh, <laughs> the, but but back in the in the 1800s 1900s an enormous number of performers were actually volunteer firemen because they well, became that because theaters burn so right, often. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, when you go back to limelight, I mean, uh, you know, uh, I mean, who thought that was a good idea? You know, a guy, a guy with with uh, with uh, flammable tanks on his back yeah. and a reflector on his chest, walking above all this painted muslin scenery <laughs> yeah. with with a with a with a live flame pointing right. at the at, at the at the lime. Yeah. What could go wrong? <laughs> okay, so we're down to animals, kids, water. Um, well, I don't fear water. It never stays where you want it to go. Whenever I've been involved, well, with no, it, so. yeah, I, 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 I've tamed water. Oh, um, that's so good I've, to know. I've, Next time they're like, "We'll put a creek on stage. Yeah, It'll no, be fine. I'll go." I've find dealt Greg. with that. <laughs> I did have a rampant elephant once. No, you didn't. Yeah. Oh, I did. Really? Story. Oh, I did. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In uh, in an Aida that I did in Portland, Oregon, and and the the uh, the the elephant. Uh, got tired of what it was doing and angry and it 
it I mean, fair. ran into a lighting boom, and it and, and a, a lighting boom is is a vertical pipe of with lights on it, and it uh, is secured at the floor by four quarter inch lag screws, and it ripped those off, sheared them off, without even missing a step. I mean, it just. It, and the weird thing is that it it just it had it right, so it right. did it did it followed the exact path it was supposed to go. It just did it really fast, <laughs> <laughs> with the singer scurrying ahead of it because it was the triumphal march, right? Oh, no. But it went it went off stage. It made the turn. It went to its station where it got to, you know. It just did it really fast, and it was it, with the boom swinging around and the thing. So yeah, the animal thing. Mm. Small animals. Small animals are okay. Wow. I just can't even, like, I just don't even know. Like, I'm I'm a pretty good problem solver, I would say. Yeah, you can't. What you if do? there was a rampant elephant on stage, I'm not sure. I think that'd be one of those, like, things where you watch people, like, trip and fall, and you can watch it happen, but you just can't do yeah. anything to help. Like, like that's yeah. how I feel. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So, well, I'm just glad that it like it went right, to where it was where supposed it was to go <laughs> and not, you know. So kids and water. Kids are more Those are the Well, I don't care for any of that. Yeah, I know. That's why I asked the question. I knew like, Greg wouldn't want any uh-huh. of the choices. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you, if you, I mean, those are probably, if that's what's left. What is your favorite non-alcoholic beverage? There's non-alcoholic beverages. That's there are. A lovely answer, Greg. Are you sure about that? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Coke Zero. Coke Zero. All right. All right. Although, although I don't like the new formulation, so I, I'm, the I'm, the, I'm on a quest. If anyone has any ideas, I'd be happy to, to replace. Send Coke them Zero. to Cassie. Great. Sure. Great. <laughs> um, so, if you had to go to a deserted island, what three? inanimate objects would you take with you well i don't know i guess uh so if i had to go to a deserted island Mm -hmm. that sounds very appealing (laughs) i i rather i rather like the idea i'm 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 sort of lost in the reverie of it um i think i would take uh, a refrigerator okay you didn't Limit the size. No, no, no. Um, well, how big's the island? I have to know if it can tolerate. You know, it's pretty nice size. Well, then I take a house. (laughs) See, Greg has landed in the practical side of it, but also the bend the rules side. (laughs) Right, absolutely. And I think a distillery. Yes, like that's. This is why we, because Joe wanted to bring black t-shirts. Yep. <laughs> when we did The Apprentices, they were very split. Yeah, Tania, Tania was like a knife. The hunter-gatherer was. <laughs> yes. Cody said books, I think. Yeah, like, yeah. No, I like that you just bring a distillery and a house. Yeah. Problem solved. <laughs> and a refrigerator. Well, the refrigerator For comes the in the house. Ice. Oh, you're right. You gotta have the ice. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Excellent. So thanks so much for chatting with us, Greg. That was really great. We're it's been my pleasure. We're going to end with our trivia. Um, so we do some trivia at the end of each episode, and we reveal the answers on the next one. And Cassie doesn't know them either. And I am keeping a gentle score of how Cassie's <laughs> doing against all of our guests this season. She's doing really good, though, so it's fine. 
In the 1953 movie, Abbott and Costello Go to Mars, where do they actually go? Mars, Pluto, Venus, or the moon? Burbank? Because <laughs> that's the sound studio, is Greg's answer. Um, I'm going to say the moon. Okay. Is Greg sticking with Burbank? Going <laughs> off of the choices. <laughs> okay. A 1970 version of Carmen in the Verona Arena in Rome was so lavish that it had 38 live horses in the production. What two incidents actually happened during this performance? The last horse in the procession in Act 4 ran toward the orchestra pit and landed on the kettle drums without injuring itself or anyone else. The artificial mountain the horses had to stand on in Act 3 got eaten when they thought it was real. A cat interrupted Carmen's death by running on stage and rubbing itself against the performers. Inspired by the cast's vocal skills, a Pyrian mountain dog wandered on stage during the smugglers scene. Two. I'm, I'm gonna go for the uh, cat. Okay. And the, uh, what was the first one? The horse on the kettle the drum. You're picking two answers? Yeah, because it's Is two that... things. Oh, 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 I missed that part That's of it. how it was so epic, was two of the four occurred in the same performance. Oh, yeah. I'm going with the cat also. Okay. And then the second one, the... The horse is ma- eating the mountain. the mountain. Yep. All right, great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Greg. This has been fun. I hope everyone has learned a little bit more about what a director of production and resident lighting designer does. The mysterious job The mysterious job titles. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks. We'll be releasing a new behind-the-scenes podcast every month, so make sure to check our website, azopera.org, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And join our email list so you never miss a moment. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Amazon Music. Arizona Opera Behind the Scenes is presented by Arizona Opera's Department of Education and Community Engagement. These programs are made possible in part thanks to the support from Karen Fruin, the Molly Blank Fund, Dr. Rex Brewster, Invest in Kids Charitable Gift Fund, the Marino Family Foundation, the Arizona Republic, Cardinals Charities, the City of Peoria, Desert Diamond Casino West Valley, Kiwanis of Lishfield, and a consortium of individual donors. The Behind the Scenes podcast is also part of the Arizona Opera Next Gen Initiative that encompasses a wide variety of programs that go beyond the opera stage to develop the next generation of opera artists, audiences, and philanthropists. To learn more about the programs that are part of the Arizona Opera Next Gen Initiative, please visit azopera.org and click Next Gen Initiative. These programs are made possible in part thanks to generous support from Karen Fruin, Roma Whitkoff, Jeanette J. Siegel, the Molly Blank Fund, APS, Jody Pelusi, and a consortium of individual donors. We would like to extend a special thanks to the Marlu Allen and Scott Stallard Costume Artisan Workshop. 
This podcast is produced by its hosts, Cassie Robel and Kathleen Trott, with editing and music composition by Sean Mallow.